Well, please do open up Genesis chapter 1, helpfully page 1, and we'll be looking at that together. Well, it's a new season. That's September for you. And even if you aren't looking into the face of a new teacher this month, or finding your way around a new school, uh, or even noticing the leaves that have started, I'm sorry to say, they've started to turn and they're looking a little less green than they did a few weeks ago, it's definitely a new season. Now, by mid-November, and that's in a few weeks' time, it won't be a new season anymore. But here's the thing. These readings from the Bible, properly digested, powerfully resonating with you and with me, could just initiate a new season in our lives. Two decades on, I remember a new season that began for me with a move three hours south from the rural north to the urban south, from British pound sterling to Irish punts, from living with my parents in a nice clean house to living with my peers in a similar environment. (laughs) But those really weren't the biggest changes in my life that September. You see, a new season began that month. And I see now in retrospect that something else other than a change of location or starting a college course was going on. You see, what began with a move to Dublin was actually exposure to consistent, compelling, and direct teaching from the Bible, from God's Word. And the readings that we're going to look at over the length of the autumn, over the next few weeks, span the whole Bible from Genesis, from page 1, to the final words of the book of Revelation. And we're going to get a glimpse of the Bible's main message. Because getting to grips with that message for the first time will completely change your life. And even if this is the the first time in a long time, or another time you're looking at the Bible, studying its main message perhaps again, it will change your life. It will invigorate your sense of purpose and your resolve to keep going as a Christian. Perhaps you'll see something in these passages that you've never seen before. And I guarantee you, when you hear God's Word you'll be changed. So listen in. Let's look at that opening line of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Profound simplicity, and yet the Bible introduces to, to the God who exists. In the beginning, God. And with this short summary sentence, tells us that God created He created the heavens and the earth. And isn't it interesting that the Bible uses a word like this, create? And in fact, in the original, the word create is only used of the things that God makes or creates. It's never used of something people do. Only God creates. Men and women make things, but only God creates. And what did he create? The heavens and the earth. A wonderful expression that says everything. The whole universe Expressions like this come up in the Bible a lot, like day and night, meaning all the time, or the heavens and the earth, meaning the whole universe, everything in it. Now I want you to look down, or in fact across the page, to chapter 2, verse 1. 
So chapter 2, verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. So there's that phrase again that we saw in chapter 1, verse 1. The heavens and the earth. And this time, there's another summary sentence, but it's a concluding summary. God created everything. And this time, the writer tells us he brought it to completion. And so we can see the structure of the passage in front of us starting to emerge. So what's between chapter 1, verse 1 and chapter 2, verse 1? Well, we read exactly what God created. Look with me with, uh, at, back to chapter 1. So we read the first verse of chapter 1. Now look at verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2. And this helps us to get, a, to get to grips with the structure of all that God created. Have a look at verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The pre-creation state, if you like, of the earth, the, the, the earth before the creation is described in two ways, negatively. The writer says it was without form. It was void, which is another word for empty. And there's also darkness here. It's, it's quite an uncomfortable verse. The, the dark reality into which God then speaks and creates. But here's how chapter 1 verse 2 helps us. You see, I find it very helpful to see that in Genesis 1, how there's two things here we can have a look at. Firstly, God brings form to that which is described as being without form. So you'll have seen the description in verse 2 that there was no form, it was without form. And yet the next verses from from verse 3 to 13 show how God brought form to that which was without form. So if you like, chapter 2, or or sorry, chapter 1, verse 2, is like another summary of how the creation itself is broken up. So you'll see the bringing of form or order to that which was without. And then secondly, have a look at this as well. God brings fullness, and that's in the rest of chapter 1 from verse 14 on, to that which was empty or void. It's striking, isn't it, the way the structure is put together here. So even in chapter 1 verse 2, you have formless and void which God then creates to fill in the rest of that magnificent chapter. So I, I find that really helpful to think through that this is, these are hangers on which to see what God is doing. Let's have a look at how it unfolds here. So look at the first thing, the form. There's the form and order of, have a look at verse 3, the light. So God said, let there be light. And there was light. So this stunning activity of God then goes on to separate light from darkness, creating order, form. Verse 4, day and night. Verse 5. So there you go. There's some of the form now being put where there had been no form. And then look at verse 6. There's form and order with this expanse or canopy or firmament. Imagine a huge tent canopy. Well, this is the order, this separation between the clouds above and the seas below, verse 7. So here's order again, form, where things were formless. And then look at verse 9. 
More form and order are established with the gathering of the seas and the appearance of the dry land. Again, look at the phrase. There's a lovely phrase here, and it repeats and repeats and repeats, and it was so. When God spoke, it was so. It happened just as he said it happened. It's, it's incredible. But there's the form, the dry land, separate now from the seas. God commands and things are so. He declares and suddenly the formless is ordered by the creative word of God. Isn't that incredible? Now form and order haven't been given by God, to that was, which was without form. Then look at the text go further then to describe the way that God creates the fullness to what was empty or void. And that's the next sections. Look at verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. So you've got the sun and the moon and the stars now filling the sky. Now we know they're not actually in the sky, but that's where they're visible from. And to those watching on, they now were able to see the fulfillment, the filling of that which was empty, formless and void, now being filled with these these great lights. And then verse 20, God creates living creatures. Have a look. Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. The skies, the seas are filled, no longer void or empty. And then from verse 24, living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth. Well, what are they doing? They're filling the land, filling the earth. So it's it's quite incredible in this structure to see that that which was without form and void now has both form and order and fullness by the magnificent creative word of God. Then comes the climax. It was interesting as Sylvia read that you could almost feel things moving up a gear from verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our, in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is a special creation, and we're alerted to it, even by the the use of this this wonderful, and the the editor of the ESV has set this aside to show the, uh, the, the poetry of what's happened in verse 27. How special this creation is. And even look at the use of the word us. Let us, God says. Let us make man. Now, why the word us? A hint of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? A a plural of majesty? Well, in both or either cases, man is created in the image and likeness of God, male and female. Not simply just another animal or another kind, but given the special status as God's vice-regent. So understanding this, And getting to grips with Genesis 1 shows us that made in God's image, we, men and women, male and female, that helps 
us understand our destiny and our relationship to God. But here's my question for us in this opening reading for this new season. Here's the question. What are we to make from this opening chapter that we've just looked through in a very um, summarizing way? Well, there's three things I think we can take. There are lots of things, but here's three things to think about. The first one is here. Have a look at my italics on the screen. God sovereignly and majestically created the entire universe and everything in it. That's almost a summary of what's the summary that we've already read here. God made everything sovereignly and majestically. And we, we saw it unfold here before our eyes. And that can come as a surprise to us. In Genesis, we meet God in charge, in full creative flow, absolutely supreme. Um, notice what God has been doing over the chapter. Did you hear him announcing, commanding, separating, naming, evaluating his creative work? And all the time, the response to him and his words is so radical in the lives and in the, the, the features of those things that are created again and again. Things do what he says. And it was so. And, and this is really surprising to us because many people, if not most of the people around us, have a completely different worldview. And what also might surprise us, if you've never heard this before, is that this text, page one of the Bible, has actually been written to contend with those who have different worldviews. Now, that's interesting to me because when I try and talk to people about the gospel and about the Bible, it's interesting to think that this part was perhaps written to confront or contend with those who believed something entirely different. Think about the ancient world. People believed that the sun and the moon should be bowed down to and worshipped. And we know that that's from antiquity. There were many people who who worshipped those things. And yet, what do we find in Genesis 1? God made those things. He created them. Don't worship the sun and the moon because God says, I created them. So here's the contending with that worldview. Uh, God made the light. God made the great lights. How then can you go and worship them? You see, Genesis is calling those reading and those who have a different view to worship the creator, not something that's been made. Now, this book, as you probably know, was first read by people who were being called to be part of God's covenant community. They were being called into relationship with him. Um, Genesis is part of what's known as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, written for God's chosen people, his community, written to help them know and understand God, the God who made everything, to help them both form that worldview and contend for it. Now, think of us as Christians then, people who take the Bible seriously, we should be letting Genesis 1 do exactly the same for us. As a church, people called out to worship God and being sent out to serve him, we have this Bible in our hands, in our homes, on our phones, telling us that God made everything. This passage that we read contends for his existence, his sovereign power. But why have we followed the other ideas? and listened to them, and been embarrassed by, by them, what they show up or, or seem to show up about our faith. 
Why have we been so distracted from God? I mean, think about, I mean, I think of my time in school, and I think of people laughing and scoffing at the idea of God making everything. We're scientists, I was told. We have better ideas. Well, did you realize, and you may not have realized this, that there are many, many scientists who have looked and wondered at the world around them who cannot yet write off the magnificent complexity of life itself as some chance occurrence. There are people who have been confronted with the beauty and brilliance of the world around them who have looked at the evidence and refused to say that it just just happened. You see, with us, many people who are using the same scientific evidence available to everybody have read Genesis 1 verse 1 and praised the God who made everything. Let me challenge you this morning. If you've moved away from Genesis 1, would you come back to it and allow it to inform your worldview once again? And I want to ask you to courageously hear the declaration of Genesis 1 verse 1. That the invitation, if you like, to see that in the beginning God created everything. Will you accept that invitation to see that God made everything? And, and I, I, I encourage you to do it because I think it will help us get our bearings in a world where there are so many other ideas and claims, most of which declare our own sovereignty, most of which move us from vice-regent to regent, to put ourselves in the number one spot. And we know that it's not a good thing to be in the number one spot because it can make the next tournament difficult. Anyway, well, we're not go there. But think about it. A lot of the ideas that we're contending with have actually premised or started with me at the center, human ideas first. And I'd also want those of you who have accepted a different worldview to think again. Here's a Bible reading for a new season of your life, too. And the bitter fights between creationists and evolutionists could have damaged our ability to read this stunning opening of the Bible, to dismiss its mixed genre, to think of it as just just religion. Well, let me ask you to think again. Because the prologue prologue to the whole Bible, if not to the book of Genesis, is forcing me to think about something else too. And this is the second thing to take from this reading. As the creator of everything, everything must be under God's sovereign control. Do you see that? So God made everything, and he's presented here as the declaring, commanding, powerful, sovereign creator. And so if he made everything, that means that he's in charge. He's got the sovereignty. Now, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? But Because it's a basis for everything. The God who made everything then has the right to be in charge. A right that over the centuries since the Enlightenment particularly, human beings like ourselves have decided that we should have the right to be in charge. Now, that is a, a very modern way of thinking, that I'm in charge, that I should have the right to set things up the way I want. And it comes from this enlightenment thinking, declaring that God didn't create everything, or more subtly, sometimes ignores or snides at Genesis 1, is a really another way of saying that I'm responsible to no one. I don't have a boss. I'm in charge. 
Uh, the poet put it like this in a very famous poem that um, you'll, you'll know as soon as I quote it. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So wrote William Ernest Henley in the poem Invictus. But you see, the Bible makes the opposite declaration. It's inviting us to hear and understand a new declaration of dependence. Maybe you'll begin this new season of your life. Maybe you'll you'll start not with a growing self-belief and self-rule, but with a heightened awareness that the God who made everything actually has the right to tell me what to live and how to do things. The right to speak words that I should at least listen to. Now, you'd all agree with me that there are serious problems in our world that even 21 centuries of war and politics and division and advances haven't solved. If anything, things are worse. Pain and anxiety and stress these days are are so thick that you could perhaps describe them as a huge fog over our cities and schools and homes. At least that's the newspapers I'm reading. At least in part, the problems that we have have come from declarations of independence from God. What would it be like to see order out of chaos in this new season of your life? What would it be like to see the creator, the writer of of this book, Genesis 1, page 1 of the Bible, to see the creator as he is in sovereign charge and as redeemer? Well, the third thing here, and we're nearly through, what are we to take from this? God's words have weight. There's real weight here. And and this is really important for what's going to come in the other readings. This will be countercultural for the mainstream that you're walking in and swimming in, that declares your independence for you and urges you to believe that what we've just been reading is just quaint poetry, long since obsolete. But Genesis 1 has reminded us that life comes from the the speaking God, the words of God himself. You see, you've seen that this morning, the words of God putting form on the formless, replacing emptiness and void with fullness, speaking light into darkness, order out of chaos, separation where it's appropriate. You see, I'd love you to see this morning, whether you're a Christian or even if you're not, That God's words have weight. There's life by God's word. Not by the sun's energy alone, but by the one who made the sun. There's life by God's word. Not by my own decisions or my own creations, so-called. There's life in God's word. Not by me being more self-expressed. And that life is not independent of God. No matter how I want to make it that way. I want you to think again about the people God was calling himself to. I want you to read this account and and think about those people who would have read this. And I want you to see all of God's activity from order to chaos, light to darkness, formless to fullness. And as the Bible's message unfolds, we're going to see how this points out in the rest of this book to the redemption to God making order out of chaos by sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where this message of the God who made everything and who has the right to rule, that's where it's heading. The God who can yet recreate, who can make people new, who can redeem people 
from the mess they're in. Well, let's take a moment to pray. Father, these are familiar words, but we confess to sometimes reading them through and not thinking deeply about them. And as we study your word over the next few weeks, uh, would this be a season where we're, we're fed up with just glazing over the text? But would you speak to us as you spoke and things happened? Would you speak new life where it's needed? Would you speak wisdom where we don't have it? Would you help us to see wonderful things in your words? Would you help us to see them having weight because they're spoken by the sovereign Lord who made everything? And we pray this in his name. Amen.